Welcome to the 430th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. Well, the next race is the Silver Rush 50. I keep saying it at the beginning of every podcast because it is what is the next big event, not until July, but yet right around the corner. Um, this one scares me. So I am trying to lay out a plan week by week, so to speak. Um, and I've mapped out the elevation changes and how much the climbs are, how long the climbs are, and I'm trying to simulate them by doing some hill repeats on the treadmill. So I do a variety of different distances on the treadmill, um, trying to get some of the 15% grade. Um, not getting anywhere near what's gonna happen to me at, in Leadville, um, where will be miles and miles of uphill. Again, you know, I've said before, it's 22 miles uphill, 22 miles downhill. Uh, it's up and down, but a lot of just grinding, grinding uphill. Um, but nevertheless, uh, living in flat Florida, the treadmill is what I have, and then my tire pull. I um, am pulling a large truck tire um, on a street that is blacktop, you know, kind of sealed, so it's uh, fairly tacky, so it's a pretty hard pull. I'm doing that, um, trying to get that up to at least three times a week, um, it's about 0.3 miles right now. So that's part of the training. I've uh, been following some of a few, uh, again, I've had um, Born to Run, Chris McDougall on the, the podcast. I probably should get Eric Gorton because I follow a lot of his YouTube busy videos with uh, some running drills, uh, trying to get my feet and ankle ready for the uneven surfaces. And we found a trail um, not too far away, about uh, 30 minutes from here. There is actually, a, we found a nice 3.6 mile loop that goes down to uh, the beach area in Inglewood, Florida, and we uh, went down there this Sunday and ran around that uh, a few times, which was nice. Uh, it was either hard-packed sand and shell or some pine needles and hard-packed dirt sand. So it was actually a nice surface. It's flat, but nevertheless, um, again, to get a little bit more um, variation in terrain for the little muscles in your feet and ankles that are going all different directions. So really uh, enjoyed that. So I think we can go down there and do some more of those uh, loops. Uh, there's a little hill not too far away um, that we can run up and down uh, in, you know, again, a little bit north. This week I also did, uh, we have hump bridges here, which are not very big bridges. Uh, to put it in perspective, 10 trips up the hump bridge got me uh, I think 200 feet of climb. So, you know, I'm only 7,000 off, but nevertheless doing hill repeats. So sprints up the hill, sprints down the hill for leg turnover. So that, that I've incorporated in to my training. So, so far all is well, um, keep doing, doing that. Um, this podcast I have entitled, uh, practice choosing hard. And that is more difficult for some people than others. Um, you know, Staples has the easy button because we'd all like easy. Um, but we all know that in reality, easy really doesn't get us much um, as far as progress. And by doing hard things, uh, we typically learn more and accomplish more and are more pleased by it. Yet there's something in our psyche that always wants us to try to find that easy button. 
And I think sometimes people, um, they want to make sure they can do something. The fear of failure sets them, sets them back. Um, and perhaps when it comes to plant-based nutrition, people aren't quite sure that the uh, sacrifice, and I put that in big air quotes, they're going to make is going to result in a great outcome. So, you know, wonder if I miss all those steaks and milkshakes and it didn't help me anyway, so why bother and why don't I just be happy with what I've got, at least I'll have food. And I think that's a giant um, little loop repeat that comes in a lot of people's head. But, you know, I've had a couple examples over the last week of people, um, you know, taking the junk food out of their diet and all of a sudden their blood pressure comes back to normal, you know, within 24 hours. Um, and, and, and when I say normal, not completely off medication, but spinning out of control to back down to an acceptable range um, that would result in weaning a blood pressure medicine um, had it, would it con- if it was to continue. Um, green smoothies has, um, you know, for a week, uh, all of a sudden resulted in loss of weight that was not accomplished with just eating a air quotes, plant-based diet, uh, and all the challenges associated with it. Uh, even getting a rash of an autoimmune rash better with just a few days of a green smoothie walking, um, you know, 70 minutes a day, all of a sudden glucose is much better controlled. Uh, having some greens, chest pain goes away in the face of known coronary artery disease, and it wasn't working before. So obviously there's a disconnect um, with what people thought they were doing and then what they actually did, you know, when things got scary uh, and the, you know, the fire was at the feet, so to say. And I always say that I do better when there's a fire at my feet. I accomplish things better when I'm on a busy schedule and I have to get things done. And and I think that that goes for a lot of people. And even in the nutrition realm, when people are really, really scared, then they're much more likely to concentrate and be mindful of every little thing. But still, even after people see the success, they often have, you know, we'd call it falling off the wagon or uh, they revert back to, I can have a little bit of this or I can have a little bit of that. And so the question is, why does that happen? You know, um, you have so much success, yet that temptation of the bag of chips or that temptation of a little bite of this still comes into play. Is it because people don't really accept it? Um, Or did that little voice come in? And I think that little voice plays a big role. You know, I'm better than I used to be. I'm better than most people are doing. Um, I've come a long way. I deserve a reward. Um, you know, so those little voices are really saying, you know, go ahead, um, you know, just a little treat, little reward, but it's, it's also leading people to not make the hard choice. It's, it's leads people to the easy button and which leads to a, a setback. And then, you know, the other voice that comes in, well, this really didn't work anyway, or it wasn't for me does a little bit of extra vegan sour cream or some ground up walnuts or some extra rice, does it really matter that much? And then I'm gonna go ahead and say, well, yes, it depends on what your goals are. Nutrition as medicine is a short acting pill. Um, You know, the nutrients only last that much. When you eat greens, mixes with the saliva in your mouth, microbes, and you generate nitric oxide in about 15 minutes, and in about 20 minutes, you get another surge from your small intestine, 
and then it's gone um, in about an hour or two hours. So you have to repeat. So that's what we say, eat greens, scatter them out throughout the day, eat greens before you exercise, you get the boost in nitric oxide, but then it goes away. We eat something, you know, it generates energy, but then it goes away. We blow off carbon dioxide, we get rid of the water and the nutrients are gone. The metabolic waste stays around, but the nutrients and the antioxidants are, are gone very quickly. So you have to keep dosing and it has to be attention to detail. And, and so that becomes part of why things are difficult. Um, some people feel like they're pushing a rock uphill, you know, because they have to put so much attention into doing this new lifestyle. Unfortunately, if you're pushing the rock up a hill, but then you start going downhill, it seems to go very quickly the other direction. So people need a break or they need a reward or they need a time out or a cheat day, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I used to golf and it's kind of liken it to a give me, you know, so when you hit your ball in the green, if you're not a golfer and you have to put the ball into the hole, but sometimes with it, when it gets within a certain distance from the hole, people say, I'll give you that because they assume that you could make it. And typically the rule, the, the, the non, you know, the unspoken rule is within the leather. So if it's, you know, um, within the grip distance, then most people can make it. So I'll give you that. But often that turns into from the grip down to the putter head so it becomes a longer distance and when i was young and used to play golf with my dad sometimes he would give me a gimme and we would be playing for you know a quarter uh, or dimes you know the front nine the back nine the total score with i would play with uh, my dad and his buddies and so i was beyond you know at the opposite team from my dad and he would give me a putt and say, so you don't have to make that. But then when we got to like 17 or 18 or when the money got tight or the score got tight, he said, well, go ahead and put that in. And then next thing I'd know, I'd miss it and I'd be angry. And so, well, you gave it to me before. And he's like, yeah, that was then, but this is now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very similar that when you let down your guard and you're not focusing on the nitty gritty details of your nutrition, and then all of a sudden it comes time to make putt, you can't do it. Of course, now I'm a runner and I'm going to shift it around to running and specific training for running. I've done a lot of marathons. Now I've done three 50-mile races. So I could keep doing what I'm doing and show up and suffer through and hope for the best. But Leadville's different. Um, it's at a big elevation. Uh, the mountains are big. The rocks are moving. Uh, there's cutoff times. And I need to be better than I was to be able to make it around in the time frame. And quite frankly, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it around in the time frame. So I'm scared straight as far as my training. I'm trying to do specific training and focus training so that I have the best chance and no regrets when I get there. So if I've done all I can, I get there and you know I, I don't accomplish what I set out to do, then I can readjust and, and maybe go again. But I don't want to get there saying, I wish I would have done something, you know, or I wish I would have followed the plan I initially thought of. There are all kinds of training plans online that you can purchase that are, you know, do this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so forth. You can, you know, um, and you can follow those and or not follow those because nobody really knows if you're actually following the training plan. And they might not be specific to what you're actually you're doing. But you still have to be accountable. Um, that's why some people hire a coach for accountability. 
Um, but the accountability is only as good as what they report. And even when somebody, you know, it, you have to take into account of, you know, where do you live? What kind of elevation do you live in? Um, how old am I? What's my job? What do I do during the day? Have I been injured? Um, there's all kinds of factors that go into making a training plan. And the more factors that you know, the more specific that you can be. But when it comes down to it, you still have to follow it. And you have to follow it consistently. So if I do a plan and I write out seven days, but I only accomplish two or three of them, then I'm not really following the plan and I'm not gonna get the same results as I would have if, if I would have followed the plan seven days a week. And that's where nutrition comes in. Most people can follow the plan two or three days a week, but they can't manage to follow the plan seven days a week. The race date is not going to change. So if I miss days, I'm going to miss days of, of training. Same way with nutrition. If I miss days, I'm, I'm falling back. There's, there's definitely a setback. So it's basically what we call yo-yo dieting. The confusing perception, is it good enough? Is it good enough to accomplish my goals? Is a cheat here, a cheat there worthy of being mindful of it? And again, it comes down to what you're trying to accomplish. I think sometimes we see a diagnosis of coronary artery disease, perhaps somebody had a heart catheterization or they had a stress test or they had a calcium score and they say the number is this. I have a 50% blockage, I have a 70% blockage, or I've had cancer here or I've had you know something specific done, I have pain here, my blood pressure is this and they, that's their diagnosis, but they don't realize that what caused the disease, the underlying mechanism is still progressing forward. And we can't really tell how fast it's progressing forward, but it's still progressing forward no matter what. So your 50% blockage today is not necessarily going to be a 50% blockage tomorrow, especially if you haven't done anything to change it. Your pancreas is still being stressed if your glucose is still elevated. Um, you know, the, the, again, the blood vessels and the nitric oxide is not being produced. The plaques are still there. You still have blood flowing through plaque ridden vessels that can cause stress and plaque rupture and, and clots. So the clock is always ticking with life and lifestyle diseases. So it doesn't take a day off. It doesn't take a break. So the more specific your nutrition plan is, the better. And in some respects, it has to be specific, but it, I think short term as well. So if I just want to eat less and lose weight, it's probably the most non-specific thing that you can do. I'm going to eat low carb is very non-specific. I'm going to eat plant-based is, is somewhat very specific, non-specific. Because there's a giant variety of, of those different nutritional plans. So it takes a menu uh, to really make it um, and to look at it to see, is this covering all the things that I need to cover? Am I getting all the possible nutrients that I'm getting in? If I'm getting in um, some junk food, then it's going to replace some nutrients that I could have been getting in. So I'm wasting time that day, so to speak, with my nutrition. How many people have thought about it? I know I have. I'm just not going to eat today. You know, you get up and you're doing whatever, and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just not going to eat today. And it sounds like a really good plan. You, you know, you get in the shower, still not going to eat today. But then, you know, as the day progresses and you get hungry, it starts to fall apart. I was really surprised when I did a three-day fast of 
how I guess my hunger didn't really uh, become such an issue because I had declared that I was going to do a three-day fast and knew that there was an end to the fast. Usually I'm very clock-oriented. I eat breakfast, I eat lunch, I eat dinner. Um, I have my after-dinner fruit snack. Um, So it's very regimented, and I look forward to those meals. But when I knew I wasn't going to eat, and that was the plan, uh, it didn't really bother me that there wasn't food available because that was the specific plan for three days. I was only going to eat water. Um, If I have a menu and I'm going to make that menu and I have the food for that menu, I'm only going to do that specific thing. It makes it so much easier. But if I just say to myself in the the morning, I'm not going to eat today, and then I come across somebody eating something really, really good, then I can blame them for, well, they ruined it because they brought something that smelled really, really good, and now I'm hungry, and I'm going to have just a bite. So I've ruined it, so I might as well have more. So we need a goal, and we need a very short plan, and a long-term plan, and a middle plan. And, you know, it's best to start with the day-to-day, day-by-day, meal-by-meal type of philosophy so that you're very focused on what you are getting in as nutrients and how to avoid what you don't want to get in as junk food. Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig catch people because they deal everything out in portions and you know you eat what they give you and you eat the, the, the points and every and you measure and you weigh and it works but then you start to think well it's about this or I can estimate it I've been doing this so long I'm pretty accurate but a little inaccuracy over a period of time can result in a big variation in what you're actually taking in Hard things are hard. If you're not plant-based and you're going to switch to it, and it's a big switch. If you're not somebody that likes to cook and then all of a sudden you're going to cook. If you're somebody that's eaten out all the time and now you're going to eat home, it's a big transition and you have to accept that it's going to be difficult and you have to accept where you are. Um, I'm going to pull the tire pull as an example. Um, You know, I got a big tire because I figured if you're going to pull a tire, you might as well pull a big tire, but it's a big tire. And it's hard to pull, and I'm not very good at it. And I look at my pace when I'm pulling the tire, and you know, it's not—it's not going. It's you know, it's not like I'm running with that tire. It's hard and it's slow, and sometimes the flies chase me, uh, depending on what time of day it is. Um, and it would be easy just to kind of throw in the towel and say, you know, this is not really doing it for me. This is not—I um, don't think this is a great idea. I'm going to take a break. But if I take a break from pulling the tire, I'm going to lose ground, especially when I'm just starting and I'm not very good at it. So my philosophy during my tire pull is, okay, what is my pace in specific areas? How long does it take me? How many days can I do it in a row to give myself positive reinforcement to get out there and do it? I hear other people talk about how they pulled a tire, how it helped them train for the mountains when they lived on flat ground. So I, you know, I, 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 I'm confident that this is actually going to help me. I'm not just doing it to look goofy pulling it. I could get a smaller tire and make it easier and I could run around with it. But again, it's not going to give me the same challenge. So I need to stick with my big tire and see if I can get better at it. So I'm focusing on making the hard choice every time I pull my big tire. I heard somebody else 
talk about cliff notes, you know, when, I don't even know if they make them anymore, but when I was in high school, when you had literature to read, they always had cliff notes for, you know, Shakespeare or whatever, translate it up, give you the high points. Um, some people would buy cliff notes for everything, you know, the reading assignments and, and what have you. But you never got the full understanding. You got somebody else's version of the gist of the story, but you never got the intricate details. You never got the full effect of the story. You never got to enjoy the descriptions of things and the, under, the deep understanding of what somebody was trying to convey. And, you know, a little bit slap in the face when, you you know, if you think that the Cliff Notes is a good enough read uh, for somebody that, you know, spent so much time writing this this great novel and it's a highly acclaimed book or something and, and you think the cliff notes really give do it do it it's just and it's good enough i also look at that when i think of you know other life hacks um you know whether it's injections or powders or different things that you know people do instead of because they don't have time to eat their greens they don't have time to cut their 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 meal up um, I don't think that that helps you in the end because, again, you're choosing easy. And the more you choose easy, the harder it is to choose hard when it comes to certain plans. I've never heard anybody uh, talk about how, you know, powdered greens cured their lifestyle diseases. doesn't happen. Um, people do powdered whatever vegetables and it's just a way to fool themselves into thinking they're doing something more than they were doing. But it's still the easy button. And I understand why it's very hard for people to become plant-based. Um, they don't understand it. They like the way they're eating already. It's a sacrifice. Um, they're not sure if it's going to work. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons not to become plant-based. I uh, read A Diet for a New America by John Robbins. It hit me at the right time. Uh, I was very appalled by the idea of factory farming um, and the environmental impact that big factory farms have and the cruelty to the animals, uh, as well as being shocked by, you know, all of a sudden what some of these products does to people's health. So I had multiple reasons for changing. I think most of the time people change when something giant happens. You know, they've looked in the mirror. They, you know, I've heard people seeing they, they saw birthday pictures with them and their child, or they couldn't walk down the street without being short of breath, or they got a terrible diagnosis of an autoimmune disease or a cancer or coronary artery disease or spurred into making a change. But if they don't have any of that, then, you know, becoming plant-based is quite a hard button to push for no apparent reason. So I can see that. But if somebody has a lifestyle disease and they have gone down the path and they have seen it work, it's hard for me to understand why they quit doing that. And it just comes down to human nature and the easy button. You just get tired of pushing hard. You just get tired of having to think about nutrition when nobody else seems to. And all those flooding reasons of why you shouldn't have to do this comes to your head. So you have to practice, mindfully practice, making the hard choice. A lot of people would choose having the only Porsche in the neighborhood versus being the only vegan in the neighborhood. I can tell you, I've done both, and uh, now I drive a Ford and I'm still vegan. When we were at the trail the other day, um, we 
saw a lot of people walking, and I was kind of surprised at the people walking. Most people were strolling, but there were a fair number of people out there that I you know, wouldn't have expected to be out walking on a trail. But we did come upon a guy that was actually walking at a pretty uh, good clip, and as we run by him, ran by him, he said, I don't often see people that are running. He said, I would do it, but my knees are 67 years old. Of course, I said, my knees are 60 years old. And, you know, it made me kind of giggle because he put an expiration date on his knees, and I don't think that that necessarily has to happen. Um, you know, somebody asked me if I was a functional medicine doctor and I taken and become certified. It's like, no, but I like to look at the etiology of what's causing the problem and then treat people accordingly. So it's not you have bad knees, you shouldn't run, but why are your knees bad? And is it because of your gait? Is it because of your diet? Both inflammation, should we be strengthening things? Um, should we look at your hips, your quads, your hamstrings? So there's a whole host of reasons why people's knees can hurt, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, and it probably shouldn't be, 67 years on the planet. Um, you know, the diva is about to be 90 years old and has no knee problems. So, I mean, it's not a given that you have an expiration date on your knees. Um, and it's not a given that any time anybody's played high school football that their knees should give out when they're 67. There was a study that looked at predicting people's mobility and their longevity. And, um, you know, we, there's studies that look at if you can do 25 push-ups as a man, uh, if you can walk a certain speed, if your grip strength is such, um, can you get off the floor without using your hands? How many hands do you have to use? But there was recently a study that looked at how, how long does it take you to stand up and sit down or sit to stand five times in a row? So you're sitting on a, you know, a, a stable kitchen chair, not leaning back, but you sit down and go all the way. You don't touch your back, but you sit down all the way, uh, rock back, stand up, sit down, rock back, sit down five times. And if you start timing from the time you stand up to the last time you sat down, in your 60 to 65, you should be able to do it in 11.4 seconds. If you're 70 to 79, uh, 12.6 seconds. If you're 80 to 89, 14.8 seconds. Somebody asked me in class, what happens if you're less than 60? They weren't less than 60. And I said, really, if you're less than 60, you should be practicing to get off the floor without your hands. Um, I would probably put that forward. So if you can get off the floor without your hands at 50, you should keep doing it so that when you're 60, you can still get off the floor without your hands. Um, most of the time, that involves some mobility uh, exercises as well. But I think that uh, you know that's a, a good little test that you can do. Uh, and if you can't do that test, then you need to assess why you can't do that test. I saw another study published by um, someone on Twitter that is a uh, staunch carnivore, meaning that he only eats meat, um, I guess when people are looking. And uh, the study was, red meat is not a health risk. New study slams years of solid research. And it was out of the University of Washington and it scrutinized decades of research. Um, the first thing, so this was posted as red meat doesn't hurt you. Okay, so that was, that was the way the red, you know, so all the, all the studies are a sham. So everybody should go out and eat red meat because it's not a problem. But the reality of it is, even though the study was written by a science writer, meaning 
the people that actually did the research didn't write the paper up, but a, a publicist was hired to write the paper and use the creative writing skills to make this look like red meat is not a health risk, um, which further kind of gray zones the data, or I should say tweaks the data or skews the data a little bit. Because the reality of it is, if you look at the study, and even the study's conclusion, um, they found only weak evidence that unprocessed, that means not lunch meat, but regular red meat, is not limited to colorectal cancer, breast cancer, diabetes, or ischemic heart disease. So they didn't say that it was healthy. They said it was not strong evidence. And that was the conclusion of the scientific writer. Or I should say how it was written. The reality of it is, is they came up with a new statistical method to look at older studies. So they looked at a bunch of older studies. They came up with a new math model to look, a uh, new statistical model that eliminated some risk factors or covariance and raised the relevance of other risk factors and came up with a five-star rating. Uh, makes you think Amazon. Um, but the five-star rating, uh, one star was it probably doesn't make a difference, and five-star means there's a more than 85% association. And so they came up with that red meat was somewhere around the two-star level for their statistical model. Um, and then their other conclusion in the real write-up was that there was more evidence from eating too few vegetables. So the risk, they believe, was from eating too few vegetables, not necessarily the risk of eating red meat. So again, it's kind of spinning the truth, so to speak. Um, you know, it's not the red meat that you ate, it's that when you eat red meat, you don't eat vegetables. So it doesn't do much for the guy that posted the original tweet that doesn't eat vegetables at all. Um, because the problem is, that you're replacing meat, you're replacing vegetables with meat, and the vegetables are needed to make people healthy. Um, and certainly, the meat causes problems. But it's it, it, you know, in their light or their spin, would be that you know, it's not they're not as dangerous as we once thought. But they can't be healthy without the the presence of a significant amount of vegetables. The statistical method was called the burden of proof risk function. And, you know, it looked at things, um, and they said, which is, I think everybody would agree, that the dose might not be linear. And the reality is nothing happens in a vacuum. So eating red meat doesn't happen in a vacuum, I guess, except for that carnivore. Um, people eat red meat, but they don't eat vegetables. Um, there are other confounding factors that may interact with the dose of the red meat or the dose of the confounding factors um, that will skew the data. So it makes doing nutritional studies very hard in the first place. Most of them, you know, are somewhat observational. Some of them have dietary reports. So it's pretty hard to go through all of them and lump them and clump them into one giant study and get anything out of it. So the more things we put into the mess, the murkier it gets in reality. But if you have a creative writer involved and some fancy statistics, you can get about what you want out of anything.
so it comes all the way back around. It looks at, you know, you're, you're, you're viewing things as what can you get away with versus what can help you. So how much meat can I get away with instead of how many vegetables do I need to actually help me? If your body is inflamed like it's on fire, adding more gasoline in any quantity is going to make things worse. Only when you take the gasoline away can the flame eventually burn itself out. And it burns itself out quicker if you could put a blanket on it. What food can you eat that provides nutrients but doesn't provide metabolic waste that actually adds fire to the flame that's burning your lifestyle disease? So that's really what we have to look at. So if you have 2,000 calories to burn that day, how would you get those calories? As far as energy goes, 2,000 calories is 2,000 calories. So wherever it comes from, your body is given fuel to burn. But now look at, let's look at nutrients. So if half your nutrients, half those calories come from meat, then you're missing out on a lot of nutrients that you, and antioxidants and, and nutrients that will help your body get rid of a cancer or body get rid of inflammation. So you're eliminating those sources in order to add the meat in. And that's where people get into trouble with their diet as well as far as calories go. They add in more vegetables, but they keep the other things in too. So then they end up with more, more problems and more calories. So it's a calorie uh, energy requirement and a nutrient requirement. If you're trying to heal your body, decrease your metabolic garage junk, then you need more nutrients and less, meta and less metabolic waste, and hopefully eliminate metabolic waste because again, we're trying to get rid of, not keep adding in. That's why people juice. Juicing vegetables and you know maybe an apple in it or some citrus, but juicing vegetables gets you a lot of nutrients at a low level of calories. So you can put a lot of nutrients in before you get to the calorie level where you're in trouble. If somebody is able to eat and they don't need as many nutrients, then there's no real reason to juice. Um, those extra nutrients will go by the wayside. On the other hand, if you're throwing, if you only have so much room and you're throwing other things in, you're not going to get the nutrients that you actually need. Um, there was a study looking at um, juicing versus blending, so putting things in a blender versus putting things in a juicer, and the nutrients are still retained in blending. It's just that there's going to be the fiber there, and somebody that doesn't have an appetite might not get in the amount of nutrients that's need to, needed to heal themselves. So if somebody is has a poor appetite, um, is debilitated, then you're going to want to put in as much juice as you can to get both the calories and the nutrients. On the other hand, um, you know, it may be such that we want to get the fiber might be more important in some people because we want to select for a bacteria that could be fed for, uh, be, be fed by the increased fiber dose. So there is a little bit of variation uh, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, but both of those work better than to have one green powder smoothie and, you know, a takeout chicken sandwich. Meals that I've been doing this week, um, we had butternut squash, broccoli, and butter beans one evening. 
Um, we had a Cobb salad that we did in class with white bean dressing and mushrooms. We had a sweet and sour stir fry with Napa cabbage, carrots, peppers, and soy curls. We had zucchini, tofu, and corn fritters. And the corn fritters had red pepper in them. So I aimed to get in a bean, a grain, and vegetables most of the most dinners, actually every dinner. I, and I also aim for my greens twice a day, at least. So I guess the takeaway is practice. Practice doing hard things and practice doing hard things often. The more you do hard things, the more you can troubleshoot and be mindful of the progress that you're making. When people tell me that they're doing everything perfect, I know they're not paying attention because none of us do everything perfect. So the idea is to really see where you are as far as your nutrition and your exercise and see if you can make it better by making consistent choices that are more often than not harder than the easy ones. If you would like a little help at looking at where your nutrition or exercise regimen is and how you might make improvements, uh, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and check out our website. We have a lot of options available. Um, there's a members-only website that has a lot of re recipes. We do wellness challenges. We do Zoom um, uh, balance class, mobility classes. So there's a lot that you can gain from uh, just looking things a little differently. Uh, we have a full-time registered dietitian uh, that is her specialty of plant-based nutrition. She's just not a one comes, one all, but we will move your plate so that it maximizes your nutrition for whatever lifestyle disease that you have going on so that we can reverse things as quickly as possible and uh, do things in such a way that, um, yep, you'll make some hard choices, but perhaps the choices will uh, come with a lot of good feedback. So in the end, um, you're happy with the choices you make. So anyway, if you have questions, email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. Love to hear from you. Thank you as always for listening.